Hey everyone, welcome back to the Fellowship Greenville Student Ministry Podcast. This week we have a one-off and we are answering the question, how does Jesus respond to us when we're sad? We look at Luke chapter 24 as Jesus walks with two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus and restores their hope in the midst of their sadness. Follow along and we hope you enjoy this message. All right. Well, welcome everyone. Welcome. Welcome. So good to see you guys. You guys doing well tonight? Oh, are you with me? Are you? Okay. Are you with me over here? This side of the room? Okay, great. Great. Who's that in the back? Okay. Hey, it's hard to see back there. All right. You guys with me over here? You guys good? You guys good? Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Annabelle, welcome. Annabelle. Yeah. Please get some water. All right. All right. Well, guys, let me just invite you in. Let me just invite you in right off the bat. Let me invite you in right off the bat into my heart right now. Into my heart. So we've been in a, we've been in a series over the past couple of months uh, called Jesus Is, but also we were supposed to conclude that series tonight. Uh, and, and I was excited about the direction. But sometimes things just happen in life. And, uh, and I don't know. Your heart just goes in different directions. And I've got a conviction as a Bible teacher that oftentimes a present sermon is better than a prepared sermon. And what I mean by that is sometimes you're just in the thick of things and they're just so real to you and so relevant to you in the moment that even though that's not as prepared and it's not as polished and uh, it might be a little bit scattered, those things are often better than a, than a prepared sermon. So tonight we are changing directions. I'm calling the audible. I texted my man Nathan Marks at 4.30 this afternoon. He was so gracious. I said, dude, I apologize. Slides are coming in late. In fact, I barely have any, but I'm uh, not going in the direction. Uh, told Nathan Sheehan, hey, I'm not doing that thing that we planned, and uh, you built your worship set around it, my bad dude. Uh, I'm going somewhere else. Um, so let me just invite you into my heart. It has been a, a hard week. I think sometimes you just have those in life. Dro, what's up? Hey, man, I'm going to be checking in on you, buddy. All right? Don't think you're hiding in the corner back there. Uh, sometimes you just have the hard weeks in life, you know? And uh, my wife asked me on Friday, I think, she asked me, she said, Matt, how are you doing? How are you feeling? And I said, honestly, I just feel sad. And she goes, why? I said, I, I couldn't tell you anything specific. I couldn't put a finger on it. I know there's some contributors and there's some things recently that are just weighing heavily on me. But my wife asked me, how are you doing? And, and the word that kept coming to my head, I'm, I'm sad. I just feel sad. And couldn't give her any specifics. Like, I've got some, but I couldn't give her, like, any one big thing. It was just, it's just how life's going lately. And I don't know if you are there right now, or I know you've been there because you're a human being. I know you've had weeks, months, seasons where you're just like, man, I'm, I feel heavy. I feel like the, the clouds are grayer than normal. I just feel sad. But that's where I'm at right now. I'm just sad. I'm heavy. It's been a tough week in some ways. I, um... Uh, just reflecting on some significant things and some things I'm going to hold close to the chest, but others I'll, I'll share with you. But yeah, my summary of my wife is like, I'm sad. Uh, she got off work Friday and uh, checked in on me and how my day was with the kiddos. And I said, it was good. It was great. We had a great time. Um, I don't know why though. I, I just feel like I'm, I failed as a dad today. And she's like, why? I'm like, no reason at all. I just feel like I was not 
the most fantastic dad in the world. I didn't like lose my temper. I wasn't short with them. It, like nothing that I was regretting. It's just like, I, I just don't feel like I was in the pocket of being a good dad. Uh, I'll confess this to you guys. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a human. I'm a real person, as is my wife. We are people with uh, emotions. And, and although, you don't, although you don't get invited into this uh, dynamic of my world very often, I'll tell you right now, my wife and I had a, a fight yesterday. I know it's shocking. I know. It's like, oh, you're a pastor. I know. I know. I know. Uh, my wife and I had a fight yesterday, and uh, like we're not, it wasn't a big one. It wasn't a blow up or anything like that, but it's still unresolved. Like there's still just this ache in my heart right now. I want to be resolved with my best friend. I don't like being on different pages. So there's sadness. Um, there's just things lingering, just things causing my soul to ache. And I was reflecting on some of these last night, and around 11 p.m., I heard this noise. I was downstairs of my house and I heard this noise and one of the, we have like monitors uh, that are in our kids' rooms, but I have the other end so I can, I can hear them as they sleep in case they need anything. And I heard this noise in one of the monitors and I thought, oh man, I guess Olive's waking up because my little girl, for whatever reason, she's in like this huge season of sleep regression. Parents in the room, can I get a, an amen and some prayers? But... Um, but my little girl has not been sleeping since October, so every night, about six to eight times a night, she wakes up, and you go in, and you just calm her and try to get her back to sleep since October. And so I thought, oh, I guess um, I was waking up, but it's 11. That's a little early for her. She usually doesn't start till about 1 a.m. or so. And so I listened to the monitors, and then I heard another noise. And then I heard my oldest son begin to, to cry out for me and call out for me, and I, I looked at the monitor, because this video as well, and he's... He's on his knees in his bed. He's half asleep. He's confused. He's crying. And he's just whimpering, Dad! And, and I'm, I race up there, and he's just in a pool of his own vomit. And uh, so the stomach bug officially hit my house last night at 11 p.m. And so from 11 p.m. to 6 a.m., I was up with him at least once an hour, uh, cleaning him up and cleaning up, throw up and bleaching everything and giving showers galore and doing loads of laundry over and over and over. So it's, it's just a long night, which amplified a lot of what I was feeling. So I'm, I'm coming in tonight, guys, just very human, very raw, just feeling very, I'm heavy. I just have a sadness in my heart. Now, what's interesting about this is uh, sometimes I think we, we have this idea that if you follow Jesus, the emotion of sadness should not be true of you. Like, you have joy. I do have joy. But hear me, I'm not hopeless. I'm sad. Those are two different things. I have hope in Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus and the victory of Jesus and the life of Jesus. But it's okay to have emotions. You can be sad at times and and follow Jesus. And that's where I'm at. I'm just feeling heavy. My my heart is aching. My soul is aching. Jesus is good. Um, He's in control. I have hope. I have joy. And I'm sad. Does that make sense to you? If it doesn't, hopefully one day it will. Because um, life happens. And that's where I'm at today. And so I thought, man, rather than going down this road of a, a sermon I've prepared, let me just go with a sermon that's present. I am sad. And what do we do in seasons of life where we're just struggling and we're sad? And we have the joy of Jesus and we have the hope in Jesus, and yet there's still the reality of the broken world we're in. And there's still things like your seven year old getting a stomach bug and now you're 
maybe have to pull a second all-nighter tonight as you see if your other kids picked it up, or maybe you see if you picked it up. I don't know. I'll let you know. Uh, I'll be sure to send texts tonight if I'm throwing up all night, so keep your phones handy. So what do you do in the midst of those things where sickness is, is prevalent and you have sleep deprivation and your family is having challenges and you're fighting with your spouse and you're aching about some other things and you're burdened for people in your life that you love and they're going through hard times. Like, what do you do in those as a follower of Jesus? And what hope does Jesus offer? Well, I thought, let's start at an obvious place tonight. You probably guessed where I'm going, but the Pixar movie Ratatouille Yeah, I know it's a little cliche to to go something that obvious, but give me grace. So I was thinking about this movie, and I was like, man, I don't know how your brain works, but this is often my brain just works in a weird way. I was thinking about Ratatouille, and in the movie Ratatouille, has anyone never seen it? I don't want to spoil anything for anybody. It's been like 20 years or so. I don't know. Okay. Landon, you've never seen it? Oh, Nick? Okay. Hey, it's all right, man. Well, in the movie Ratatouille, you know there's this little mouse rat, and he pulls hair to control this other dude, and he makes food. In the movie, though, there's this food critic, and the food critic's name is Anton Ego. And Anton Ego goes around to restaurants, and he eats the meals, and he criticizes the food, and so on and so forth. And He goes to this particular restaurant that's built its reputation with this hot new chef. This dude can cook, but in reality, it's a rat on his head pulling the the hair. And and so the rat takes a peek out the window and sees Anton Ego in the restaurant. And the rat knows, oh, we should make him what? Ratatouille. And everyone else in the kitchen is like, are you sure this is Anton Ego? He's like the top food critic. Ratatouille is like this very simple dish. It's it's. In the movie, they call it a peasant dish. It's, it's the dish of poor people. If you can't afford a lot of nice food or whatever, it's, it's just a basic dish. And the rat's very confident. No, 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 this is what we need to make, ratatouille. And so he makes ratatouille, and everyone is so nervous because this top-tier food critic is going to eat this very basic thing. It would be like if you came over to my house and you were a top food critic and I made you a PB&J. It would, I mean, it's something in that family of like, oh, I know it'll tickle your taste buds. <laughs> You ever taken a slice of bread and spread peanut butter on it? (laughs) Taken another one and put jelly on it? Put them together? No, no, no. You don't put the jelly on top of the peanut butter. Don't get me started on the tactics of the perfect PB&J. That's very wrong. Very wrong. Jelly on bread, PB on bread. Anton is looking at the plate. Anton Ego is looking at the plate on his table He's observing it. He's surprised that they would give him something so simple, something so basic. He's there to critique the food, the entire reputation of the restaurant, and the chef is hanging upon his insight, puts his fork in, takes a bite, and if you remember the movie, he, is, he immediately has this flashback of him as a little kid, a little poor kid eating in his mom's house, and his mom has just made him what? Ratatouille. The taste of the ratatouille takes him back to his childhood. And in that moment, the, it's a very dramatic scene. He drops his fork, he dro- or he drops his pen that he was writing his notes, and he can't get enough, and he starts devouring the plate because the joy of the simplicity that was brought back to his mind. This whole week, it's been a heavy week, 
But this whole week, my little two-year-old girl, she doesn't sing the whole song. She kind of like sings in fragments, random chunks, but she'll come up and she'll just sing this. Yes, Jesus loves me. And then she runs off. That's it. (laughs) That's it. And it's literally like she'll come up, she'll come out from another room and be like, Daddy, I'll say, yeah, baby. She goes, yes, Jesus loves me. Play hide and seek. Okay, let's, <laughs> let's do it. It's just like, it's not her singing the whole song. It has nothing to do with anything else. It's just this random thought. And guys, for me this week, that has been Ratatouille. A simple, a simple core idea that most of us learned as babies has been has been foundational for me this week. I've just been brought back time and time again to the very simple plating of this core idea that yes, Jesus loves me. And this week, that has been sustaining. And I hope and pray it is for you tonight as well. So let's jump into a passage of scripture in which we're going to observe sadness Very present sadness. We're going to be in Luke chapter 24 tonight. This is one of my favorite passages of scriptures. I come to it often because I think it's so insightful. Luke chapter 24. We're going to start at verse 13. If you're in the room and you're like, hey, have I ever heard you teach this before? Maybe if you're a senior, like every four years or so, I come back to this and I preach a sermon on it just because I just find it so insightful and so rich. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. So here's the context. The disciples and friends of Jesus have put their hope in this Jewish leader who they had concluded in their minds was Messiah. And for them, what that meant was Jesus was supposed to, at some point, lead a revolutionary movement in which the conclusion or the result of which would place him seated on the throne of Israel, reinstating the theocracy, ruling and governing from the throne of Israel and overthrowing Rome. The disciples had this idea in their head that Jesus was an earthly ruler, a military leader, and at some point the revolution would happen and he would stage a coup against Rome and reinstate Israel as the nation of God. They had had reached that conclusion through cultural assumptions about who Messiah was supposed to be and incorrect Old Testament understandings. And so when Jesus, who they expected to be conquering king, when Jesus turned out to be suffering servant, there was literally no category in their head or heart for that type of Messiah. And they were, in the most literal sense of this word, devastated. Their movement destroyed their hope obliterated, their future washed. So the disciples, many of them are in hiding right now in fear of Rome. Many of them have kind of just postured themselves in this aimless wandering of limbo. Like, what does this mean for us now? And after Jesus died on the cross and after he was raised from the dead, he had a few encounters on earth for the next 40 days. And this is one of those stories. Luke chapter 24, there's two disciples walking on a road to a town called Emmaus. And Emmaus is about seven miles away from Jerusalem. It takes the average human 
about three miles to walk one hour. This place is seven miles away. So this is about a two-hour, 20-minute walk or so. So these guys are walking with one another. And this is where we're going to pick up the story. Luke 24, verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking to each other about all these things that had happened. What are the things that have happened? Yeah, I just told you. Jesus has died. He has been murdered. Angry men arrested him, lied about him, gave him a a dishonorable trial, a secret trial in the night. This was not something you were allowed to do. They did everything they could. They jumped through every loophole they could to make sure they murdered Jesus. Because Jesus, after all, was a rebel who took to the streets and he rallied other people with him. And the government leaders of the day didn't know what to do with him and the religious leaders of the day couldn't stand him. And Jesus had this message, this radical message of love and lordship and it disrupted everything. And they murdered him for it. And his followers did not see that coming even though Jesus taught about it. In the Gospel of Matthew, in in Matthew chapter 16, he transitions his entire teaching around this idea that one day he will die. And even though he's saying it explicitly, they don't understand what he means. And so when he's dead, they are devastated. And so you've got two of these disciples walking about a two-hour, two-hour, 20-minute walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus, seven miles away, And they're talking to each other about all the things that had happened, about the murder of Jesus, about his crucifixion, about the other disciples who have scattered and are in hiding, about the movement which is now done and over, about all the hopes that they had placed in this one person and now it proved to be not true. The disappointment they share, the fear they share, the hiding that they must be doing right now, the aimlessness that they must be feeling, the sadness, the ache of the soul. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So they're walking on this road seven miles. We don't know how far down the walk they are. Is it one hour? Is it an hour and a half? We don't know. Did they just start out? We don't know. But what we do know is as they're walking and as they're talking about the things that we've just mentioned, they're reflecting, they are aching in their soul, they are disappointed, and their minds, life has bottomed out. There, there, there is no hope in this moment. Jesus sees them, hears them, is waiting for them, and draws near to them. And very mysteriously, their eyes are kept from recognizing who he is. It's not the only time this happens. After his resurrection, his disciples usually don't recognize who he is. But he draws near to them. I want to pause here. Again, I don't have many slides tonight, so you're just going to have to write this down to remember it. But here's what I want you to know. A couple observations from this passage. The disciples here are aching in their soul. They're disappointed. They're sad. They're not just sad like, oh, my girlfriend and I just broke up although that's sad. They're not sad like, oh, I have prom coming up in a few weeks, and I asked somebody, and they said no. Ah, maybe that's happened to you, and I'm sorry, but that, I, that's sad. That's sad. No, this is the sadness that's like the dark night of the soul. 
This is the sadness that's like, I, I, I am trapped in darkness. The, the, the darkness is here even when the night is not. This is not just, I, I, I'm sad, my feelings are hurt. This is like, life has no hope type of sad. Here's what I want you to know. Observation number one, write it down, remember it, whatever you got to do. But in the midst of our sadness, and I'm preaching to myself here, it's why I often come to this passage. But in the midst of our sadness, Jesus draws near to us. Now that may seem like a ratatouille dish. That may seem so simple. You're like, oh, come on, man. That's basic. It's basic and it's beautiful. That in the midst of your sadness, you don't have to leap over obstacles and hurdles to find the presence of God. That in the midst of your sadness, you don't have to have the right words figured out to make sure God hears you. You don't have to have the right movements figured out to make sure God sees you. You don't have to have the right pathway figured out to make sure you get into the throne room or the presence of God. In the midst of our heartbreak, Jesus draws near to us. These guys are talking on the road and Jesus draws near to them, the scriptures say. In the midst of your sadness, Jesus draws near to you. So I want you to know that though you may feel lonely, you are not alone. Though you may feel sad, you are not alone. Though you may be heartbroken, the creator of your heart is near. Jesus draws near to you in the midst of your sadness. That may be a basic truth, but it's a beautiful truth and one that, in my opinion, is often forgotten in the midst of sadness. We remember that when we're happy, like, oh, I know God's near. But in sadness, it's like, God, where are you? Remember this, Jesus is near in your sadness. In the New Testament, there's a word that's used. It's the word compassion. And compassion literally means to look at someone and to be able to come alongside and suffer with them. To look at someone and have compassion means I, I, have, I have pity on your plight and, I, and I'm not just observing you from some weird ethereal distance and I'm not going to get involved. I feel sorry for you, but I'm not going to get involved. Compassion means I am so burdened for you that I will step in and I will suffer with you in the process. In the New Testament, that word compassion is used almost exclusively to describe Jesus or the heart of God. It's never used other than to describe Jesus or if Jesus is teaching a parable about God the Father. But the idea of compassion exclusively in the New Testament is used for Jesus, that he is one who observes our plight and doesn't just, oh, that must be so hard. He is one who puts the flesh of man on and steps in and is willing to suffer with his people. So hear me. In the midst of your brokenness and your sadness, you have God drawn near to you. You may not have even invited him in that moment because you don't even have the words or the headspace, to, but he is near with compassion and comfort. Jesus draws near to his disciples and Jesus draws near to us in our heartache. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And Jesus said to them, hey, what's this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? What are you, what are you guys talking about? You think Jesus knew the answer? Yeah, of course. He's like overhearing it. He can hear. 
But Jesus is like doing this thing where he's like prompting them because he wants them to talk. He wants to help them process their emotions. Hey, what are you guys talking about? You wouldn't be talking about me perhaps, would you? They say, what are you guys talking about? What's this conversation that you're having as you walk? Look at the tail end of verse 17. And they stood still looking what? Sad. They're heartbroken. They just lost their best friend. They just lost the hope for their future. They just lost the revolution. Who's going to overthrow Rome now? Who's going to sit on the throne now? The, the context of death and resurrection was not on the radar of the disciples. In their minds, they've lost it all. And Jesus comes up, and as they're walking, he begins to walk with them, and he says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And the moment he asks that question, it literally, the phrase, stops you in your tracks, this is it. The question of Jesus, literally, they stood still looking sad. His question literally made them stop and just look sad. Because now they actually have to talk to a stranger about the sadness. One of them, named Cleopas, it's a rough name, but we're going we're gonna to give him grace, give his parents grace. One of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Like Cleopas says, man, where you been? Now remember when Jesus was murdered, it was Passover. And Passover was a special festival in Jerusalem and the population of Jerusalem could swell by up to four times its normal amount. So imagine like Times Square, New Year's Eve type thing. Like Times Square is always crowded, but New Year's Eve, it's like bursting at the seams. That was Jerusalem during Passover. And so the word had spread, everybody's heard, and then here's this weird stranger who, who just kind of like, hey, what are you guys talking about? Like, just comes out of nowhere, and it stops them in their tracks, and Cleopas is like, man, don't you, haven't you, haven't you opened Instagram? Like, bro, haven't you, haven't you looked at your TikToks, my guy? Like, are you the only one who has not heard about the things that have happened? Everybody's talking about, everybody knows. Who are you? How do you not know? Haven't you heard about these things that have happened in these days? And Jesus says, he's still playing this kind of like tongue-in-cheek game. He says, oh, uh, what, what things might you be talking about? And they looked at him and they said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped, look at verse 21, we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. That's an important phrase because that gives insight, that gives confirmation to what I've been saying, is that the disciples were not following Jesus because they had this idea of like, oh, this is, oh, I see, I see. This is God in the flesh and God became man so that he can sympathize with our plight. Uh, but because it's God, he's the perfect sacrifice. Oh, and the Old Testament sacrificial system was pointing ahead the whole time. Oh, I see how it all connects. Oh, and he had to die and be raised from, I got it, I got it. It makes sense. They're not thinking that way at all. In their minds, Jesus 
was a Jewish man from the backwoods of a town called Nazareth who somehow had the anointing of God on him and that he was fulfilling messianic prophecies from the Old Testament and he was the one who was going to overthrow Rome with a military movement. We had hoped he was the one, the one we've been waiting for. Thousands of years of prophecies in the Old Testament, thousands of years. And then the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, and the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, Matthew documents when Jesus came, it was 400 years between Malachi and Jesus being born, 400 years. The U.S. is 274 years old. None of us are going back to the 1700s in our mind on a daily basis to think like, hmm, I'm so influenced by what they wore. No, like, we're influenced by some of the things they wrote. It had been 400 years since the last prophecy of Messiah. Can you imagine waiting 400 years and then this guy gets born and stuff starts to happen and you think, oh, could this be? Is this the one? Is he the one who's going to overthrow Rome? Finally, our deliverer. And you put all your hope and all your faith in him and then he's murdered. In their minds, they got gypped. In their minds, everything bottomed out. We hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. They're not talking about a spiritual sense. They are talking about a literal, physical, military sense to bring Israel back to its status and rule from the throne. Yeah, and besides all of this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. So in Jewish culture, when you were murdered or when you died, you were dead. But after three days, you were like, dead. (laughs) And part of that was a belief that your soul lingered over your body for three days. And then after three days, it leaves. If you ever have the privilege of going to Israel and you go to Jerusalem and you see ancient cemeteries, one of the things you will notice is that in a lot of these cemeteries, the coverings of the people buried there have little holes in them. And those are there because the cultural belief of this day was after three days, your soul leaves. And so they would they would put holes in the, in the burial graves so that your soul had a way out. It was a cultural belief. So they're looking at this stranger on the road. They are stopped in their tracks. They're kind of offended, really surprised that he has no clue what they're talking about or the things that have happened. And they say, yeah, he's dead and it's now been three days. Or in other words, his full presence is no longer here. His soul is now gone. Verse 22, moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning. They didn't even find his body. They came back saying that they'd seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of us who were with them went to the tomb and found out it's just as the women said, but they didn't see him. They don't know what to do with any of this. So takeaway one, takeaway number one is Jesus draws near to us when we are sad. When you are sad in this life, Jesus draws near to you. That is simple, that's basic, but it's beautiful. And if you can cling to that simple truth, I promise you, it will resurface when you need it most. There will be weeks, there will be months, there will be times in your life when you just need to lean into the basic truth. Jesus draws near to me. Yes, Jesus loves me. And you just need to hear something that simple, that core idea 
to be brought back to the beauty of who Jesus is. That's takeaway one. Takeaway two is this. Jesus prompts these guys. He says, hey, what are you talking about? He already knew. But he wants them to process with him. What are you talking about? Are you the only one who doesn't know the things that have happened? What things? Tell me. It's interesting because Jesus knows the answers to the questions he's asking. But what Jesus knows is it is good for them to process these things. This is like psychology 101, counseling 101. You bottle up your stuff, it comes up later in your life. Jesus is helping these guys process their feelings. So this is takeaway number two. Is not only does Jesus draw near to you when you're sad, but Jesus listens to you, listens to you when you're sad. It's beautiful that he draws near. He comes near, you have his presence. But let's just pretend for a second that your best friend heard that you were having a rough day and just came and sat with you, and maybe that's all you need, but maybe deep down you need to process some things, and your best friend's just sitting there, and you start to talk, and they're like, no, 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 fam, I'm just here to be present. Don't give me your stuff. No, but I I just want to process this with someone. Not me, fam. Yeah, but you're my best friend. Not today. I'm just here to be physically with you. Like, there are times when someone's presence is all you need, but there's other times when you need to process. And Jesus draws near to us when we're sad, but he also listens to us as we process and vent. He listens to the pain. He invites us to have a conversation with him. Do you know how, again, basic truth, but do you know how beautiful this idea is? That God himself would move towards you when you're sad and then ask you a question that prompts you to have a conversation with him. Even though he knows the answers, Hey, talk to me about it. Get it off your chest. What are you feeling? Jesus draws near when we're sad. Jesus invites us to talk. Basic but beautiful truths. So they tell him all these things that they're feeling. And then Jesus does something kind of out of left field, but he looks at them and he says, Oh, you foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. They're talking to him about the empty tomb, and they don't get it. And Jesus is like, come on, man, it's right there. All that the prophets said in the Old Testament, how could you not see it? Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in the scriptures the things concerning himself. So my man Sam DeFore listed a bunch of Old Testament books today. Well done, sir. Well done. But Jesus is basically, yes, yes, well done, sir. But Jesus looks at these guys, they're sad that he's dead, they tell him the tomb is empty, and they're still like, yeah, but we don't know. And Jesus is like, guys, how have you missed, let's just recap. And he goes to Moses in the Old Testament. He goes from Moses through all the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Obadiah, Habakkuk, Nahum, Jonah, Micah, Daniel, just starts, lay- hey, Micah. It just starts laying them out. And he's like, okay, okay, okay. So see this book right here. When it's talking about this, all right, see this passage in Isaiah? When it's talking about he must be led like a lamb to the slaughter. Guys, hello. Who do you think that is? You remember when John the Baptist, hashtag rest in peace. I'll see you soon. My cousin, he's dead now. But you remember when he said, behold, the lamb of God. What do you think? Who do you think Isaiah was talking about as the lamb? He goes through Old Testament book after Old Testament books and helps them see the prophecies concerning himself. He's like, guys, you just told me Jesus was dead and the tomb is empty and yet you don't get it. 
And so he helps these guys get it. He goes through the entire Old Testament, has a little Bible study with them, and reveals to them, interprets to them the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus draws near to us when we're sad, invites us into a conversation, and listens to us. And then oftentimes, Jesus will help us see the things that we're not seeing. In other words, he fills in the blanks. He connects the dots. Oh, you're sad. Oh, tell me about it. And as you begin to process these things, as you talk to God, it's called prayer. As you talk to God, Jesus begins to fill in the blanks. And he gives you peace here. And he gives you an answer here. Sometimes mystery is filling in the blank. And so you just lean further into his presence. But Jesus invites the conversation. He's present with us in our sadness. And then oftentimes, he fills in the blanks. He reveals to us the things that we're missing. And in doing so, reminds us that he is still in control, that he's still good, that this is part of a plan, that God is on the throne, that hope is not lost. You may be sad, but you are not hopeless. And Jesus reveals the things that we are missing. Now, if there's a bonus takeaway... Usually I just end it with three. But if there's a bonus takeaway, it would be this. Let's just read this next passage because it's kind of funny. So they, they drew near the village to which they were going. Jesus acted as if he were going further. Like Jesus is like, all right, guys, bye. But he's not taking steps. He's like, bye. And they're like, no, wait, wait, wait. And she's like, yeah, yeah. They want me to stay. They said, wait, wait, wait. And they urged him strongly saying, stay with us. It's toward the evening, and the day's almost done. It's far spent. Like, in other words, they, they, they were like so caught up on his every word. They were hungry for more. Man, who is this dude? We don't know, but he seems to know the scriptures. They still don't get that it's Jesus, by the way. But Jesus is like, all right, bye, guys. And they're like, no, wait, wait, wait. Uh, maybe, maybe just like stay the night. Well, I don't know. Guys are really bad at slumber party invitations. Girls, you all are Amazing. Amazing. Guys are really bad. Guys are like, yeah, but I mean, bro, you could, uh, you, you, you could stay. I, I got like an Xbox. I, I, I'll sleep on the floor, bro. You can have my bed. I'll sleep on the floor, bro. Um, uh, play like Call of Duty. I don't know. But, but deep down, deep down, guys are thinking this. Yo, you my bro, and I just want more bro time with you. But I can't be that vulnerable because it, it's a little weird. So, so we just. You, you could stay, but it's like whatever, right? I don't even care. Ugh. And these guys are like, hey, you know, it's getting late. It's almost nighttime. Why don't you stay? Not much has changed in the bro culture in 2,000 years. We got food, man. So Jesus stayed with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. And in that moment of Jesus breaking the bread, the scriptures say in verse 31, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. In that moment, his breaking of the bread brought them back to the upper room, brought them back to his teachings, brought them back to this, oh, this is Jesus. They recognized him in that moment. He vanished from them, just kind of like, oh, <laughs> like right there. And Jesus is gone. And they were so stirred up by this encounter. They said, did our hearts not stir within us, burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened the scriptures 
And they rose that very hour and ran back to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed. He's appeared to Simon. They told them what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Jesus draws near to us when we're sad. Jesus invites us to talk to him and he listens. Jesus reveals what we're missing. He fills in the blanks. And if there's a little bonus point, it would be this. Jesus oftentimes will invite us into friendships when we're sad. Friendships here on earth. Like Jesus sets up something here. It's, it's so easily overlooked, but don't miss it. He sits down and he just has dinner with these guys. And that's when they recognized him. On the road, no, who are you, man? Talking to him, the tone of his voice, who is this guy? Bible study through the Old Testament with Jesus in the flesh. They still don't see him. Sits at a dinner table, rips a piece of bread. It's Jesus! Jesus, in the midst of our sadness, will often invite us into community. If you have good friends in this life, you thank God for them and you hang on to them with everything you have. If you don't have good friends in this life, I beg you, to start building healthy, long-term friendships. It's one of the greatest blessings to have people in your life that you can sit down around a dinner table with and break bread. Jesus oftentimes shows up in those moments. The other day I was asleep and my phone rang. Or I thought it rang. I don't know, I was asleep. I thought I was dreaming. Y'all ever just have a, your, your phone's ringing and your dream just turns into like a bop of like, <laughs> you just like jam into the tune or whatever? I thought it was ringing and I, I like woke up I opened one eye and I looked at the clock and it was 6.30 in the morning. I thought, oh, my alarm wasn't set. I thought, there's no way. And I looked at my phone and it was the name of a friend of mine, but I was so out of it. I I put it down. Man, I was like in dreamland. Well, later that day when I woke up, I uh, texted him. I said, hey, bro, did you mean to call me this morning? 6.30? That's unusual. And he goes, yeah, dude, I did. I, uh, said, man, I'm at an airport right now, or I was at an airport when I called you and we were about to board the flight. And I don't know what came over me, but I had a panic attack. Just anxiety crippled me. He, he has a fear of flying. He hasn't flown in years. And I, I think in his mind, he thought he was ready, but he, he said, dude, I, I, I was there at the airport and I like got crippling anxiety. I, I had this panic attack. He said, I didn't know who to call except you. I was like, dang. I mean, this guy's my boy, you know, that was my best friend. And, uh, that meant something to me. Like in his moment of desperation, who's he called? Matty D at 6.30, who screened his call. I felt real bad about it. I felt guilty. I will not lie. I was like, oh, that's my bad, dude. I, I thought it was a butt dial. But, but we got to talk. He's my boy. I got a few friends like that. Just like ride or die, man. Like a few friends. One of the things Jesus does is in the midst of our sadness, invites us into community, brings us together with people. You'd be amazed at the healing effect that that can have. So, are we good? I feel like something happened? No? Okay. I feel like everyone got up all of a sudden. I don't know what's going on. Oh, some got spilled? Oh, yeah. yeah. Sorry. So, recently I was uh, going through an old journal of mine and had, had a hard stretch of years, 2012 through 2016, I was reading through some of those journal entries from those years. Very dark time in my life. Just, man, just very sad. And uh, 
And I was reading through some of those journal entries, and I noticed that at the end of some of those journal entries, I, I wrote this scripture. I didn't mean to write it as often as I did. I, I was just processing in the moment, and then months later, years later, something would happen, and I processed it again, but I kept coming back to this scripture. I'd like to share that scripture with you. It's Psalm 73, verse 26. That's what the psalm says. It says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In some of the darkest years of, of my life so far, 2012 through 2016, those were very dark years, very hard years for me. Just in some really dark places, I would often, without even knowing it, just repeat this, this verse in my journal over and over. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God, you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. It's a reminder of my frailty, but his eternalness. My, my fragility, but his strength. I, I might fail, but God, you will not. And time and time again, I would, I would get called to this. So, I have to believe that a room full of teenagers... You have experienced sadness in your life before, or you are experiencing something right now. And I, I don't just mean the, the superficial sadness. I, I mean the aches of the souls, those, those rare moments where, where you just become very in tune to the aching in your heart and the gnawing feeling of maybe not even having words for that, feeling the brokenness of this world, feeling the darkness of the presence of evil, feeling the weight of relational pain and, and brokenness and I have to believe you've experienced that, and if you haven't to that degree, you will one day because it's just the world we live in. And I would just call you to these simple truths that in the midst of your sadness, Jesus draws towards you. In the midst of your sadness, Jesus invites a conversation. In the midst of your sadness, Jesus often reveals himself in ways that you need to hear. And in the midst of your sadness, often Jesus invites you into community. Sometimes it's it's not the most robust theology or the most robust idea or the 10-minute the Maverick City worship song or whatever. Sometimes it's, it's not those things. Sometimes it's the simplest of ideas. So let me draw us back to our dish of ratatouille here. Simple, simple. Because you may need to hear this tonight. And if you don't need it tonight, you'll need it one day. My little two-year-old girl singing this song. yes. Jesus loves me. Yes. Jesus loves me. I feel darkness, heaviness, brokenness. But yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. But <clears throat> let's draw to this simple simple truth and cling to its robust beauty in our moments of brokenness and sadness. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. That when we are broken and sad, we are not left alone to figure it out. That when we are sad and devastated by things of this world, we don't worship a God or follow a God who just has a deaf ear to us, but one who draws near and invites us to talk to him. 
to share our heart with him. We don't worship, we don't follow a God who just leaves us in the vague and the abstract, indifferent towards our plight, but we, we worship a God and we have a friend called Jesus who has compassion, the willingness to step in and suffer with us. And he goes through the efforts of revealing to us what we need to hear and where we're missing him. And he fills in the blanks and he speaks towards our plight. And oftentimes he invites us into contexts in which we find ourselves surrounded by people who matter, breaking bread or something as simple as talking about our day. And somehow Jesus' healing happens in those moments. There is brokenness, there is darkness, there's pain. Relationships are fragile sometimes. The heart is so delicate. We build walls, we pretend like we're fine, we wear masks, we say to everyone around us, I'm good. But deep down, our souls are aching. I pray that you would draw us to the truth that my two-year-old reminds me of. That you love us. And because you love us, you haven't left us alone. We thank you, Jesus. We pray for healing. We pray for presence. We pray for hope. For those in this room aching, I pray you would remind them of the truth. You are near. We ask these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen.